Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi back with you on this Friday afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and you on this Friday. Hey, Dad, it's hanging out at Duty Noble. Mississippi State and Southern Miss are in the bottom of the third inning. Two outs, and Jake Mangum just got a base hit, so Mississippi State has a Two-out base runner in a scoreless game. Golden Eagles do not have a hit in the ballgame so far, and Ethan Small has been dominant. He has seven strikeouts through three innings on the mound so far for Mississippi State. We'll keep you up to date with what's going on in that ball game as we roll through the show this afternoon. We'll also look at what's coming up this weekend for Ole Miss as the Rebels head, well, they don't head, they're already in New Orleans, going to start a three-game series with Tulane tonight. Looks like the weather's good tonight, chance of rain tomorrow, and then no chance of rain on Sunday. So, uh, barring something crazy, they will get all three games in this weekend in New Orleans. They're going to do their best in Starkville. That's why the uh, start time was moved up this afternoon to try and avoid rain later tonight. Doesn't look great tomorrow, I don't think. Uh, the forecast, frankly, is not very good for much of the state of Mississippi as it just continues to rain. Uh, Rippy and I are in Oxford. It has rained all day without stopping today. It rained almost all day yesterday as well. I guess you've got spots where uh, you don't have rain constantly. There are some flooding issues in the northern part of the state of Mississippi. And, oh, by the way, with a high temperature forecast of 70 degrees tomorrow, uh, may want to keep your eyes out for some severe storms and potential tornadoes as well. So that's what's coming up in North Mississippi on the weather front for the weekend. Will the sun ever come back out again? Well, we can only hope so. Borky, is it raining today in Jackson? No, it's actually uh, it's a little cold, but it's the nicest day we've had this week at least. I mean, the sun's kind of trying to poke out, so that's something. I was in, where was I? Tulsa, Oklahoma on Saturday, or what was it? Wednesday. And the sun came out. I was like, hold on a second. What is this? It was like 50 and sunny. I was like, I have, uh, I have missed this and then uh, flew back into the, uh, the mess. Um, appreciate you guys taking care of business the last couple of days. Was uh, off yesterday traveling home and then had, um, Taste of Oxford last night, the uh, the St. Jude fundraiser that we do, really uh, fun and successful night with that. So it's good to be back on a Friday. We'll talk baseball, we'll talk basketball. Got a bunch of guests coming your way, including Richard Williams from the uh, Mississippi State Basketball Network. We'll talk with him about the Bulldogs game tomorrow. We'll talk some Ole Miss basketball. Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball and College Baseball Today is on with us. And if they finish up in Starkville, 
in time or before the show ends, which uh, this game's moving along pretty quickly, we're also going to chat with Aaron Fit today. So a lot coming up with you this afternoon. You can uh, you can text the show 601-879-4395. That is the C Spire phone line. Uh, not at all related to the state of Mississippi, but kind of the biggest story of the day in the sports world comes from South Florida, but it involves a guy who is synonymous with the Northeast, with Boston, with New England, with the New England Patriots. That is the owner of the New England Patriots, Robert Kraft, who was arrested in Florida, where he has a home in the Palm Beach area, as part of a prostitution ring sting. An ongoing investigation into human trafficking that has lasted six months. Apparently there are 200 uh, arrest warrants or indictments that have been handed down. Uh, The majority of those are misdemeanors. Um, But it is a mess. And the interesting thing about it is that the personal conduct policy in the NFL uh, applies perhaps even more strictly to owners and league personnel than it does to actual players. Uh, You may remember Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts a couple of years ago, uh, being suspended for six games and fined half a million dollars uh, for, what, the illegal purchase of drugs, I think it was? He had a briefcase full of cash and pills and was got pulled over somewhere. Yes. Uh, so he uh, he was popped by the NFL. Uh, Robert Kraft and his attorneys denying all of the allegations. So we'll see where this goes. But uh, it seems you know at least at first glance like even if there is no real legal punishment, and we'll have to wait and see on whether or not that turns out to be the case, the NFL likely will come down and probably come down fairly hard on Robert Kraft, wouldn't you think, Borky? Yeah, I guess we'll see because. Presumably, he's one of the more powerful powerful owners in the game, right? So all eyes are on the NFL and Roger Goodell right now with what he does with Robert Kraft, who his organization has not been privy to following the rules before. I'm sure it'll be consistent, as he always is. Yeah, very Who, much so. Who's that? Goodell. <laughs> oh, did you see the NFL gave uh, compensatory draft picks to the Rams and the Patriots today, but not the Saints? The Chiefs got one, too, did they not? Yeah, a bunch of teams did. Not New Orleans, though. Those were for what? I have to read the release. I stopped reading at the first two lines because it disgusted me. But you're convinced that the Saints should have gotten extra draft picks. They they should have gotten three extra first-round draft picks, right? (laughs) For being on the wrong end of a call that didn't go their way. I'll take a six-round pick at this point. Just give us something. Yeah. Um, allegedly, according to the police chief in uh, what was it Palm Beach County, I think is where it was, um, they've got video of Robert Kraft receiving extra benefits in a, uh, in a massage parlor. A spa. I'm sorry, a spa. Wholeheartedly denying it when the police chief says there's video evidence is a bold play. It's a bit of an interesting strategy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could go like the doctored footage route, but I'm not sure how that plays. There's so many directions you could go with that, and maybe we should go with uh, with none of them. I saw the name of the spa. Hold on a second. This, uh, there, there was somebody that pointed out, why is a guy that is worth $6 billion going to a strip mall spa massage place in Palm Beach? So there's something bigger here, because Schefter 
reported on ESPN Indeed. earlier that he's not the biggest name on the list, whatever that means. Yeah, and look, people are automatically throwing out big-name people that live in that part of the country. That strikes me as extremely unfair. I mean, I get it. I understand why people are doing it. But, I mean, to to throw the name of the most famous golfer on the planet or the President of the United States out there just because they live in that area and supposedly there is a name that is bigger than Robert Kraft's, it's a little reckless, isn't it? A little bit, but man, I, it, you can't tell me that your mind didn't at least start racing when you heard that. Because who's bigger than the owner of the team that just won the Super Bowl, the greatest dynasty in NFL history, the biggest sport in this country? Who's bigger than that? We're talking about Jupiter, Florida. Do you know how many in Mar- insanely wealthy and athletic people live there? I mean, mar largos down there. It is. Which, interestingly enough, in the ESPN story, as they are, uh, they're outlining all of this about Robert Kraft, uh, New England Patri- uh, Patriots owner, being charged with misdemeanor solicitation of prostitu- prostitution, uh, some more, to, and then like five paragraphs, six, seven paragraphs in, they detail his relationship with the president. This is part of the story. Kraft lives in Massachusetts and has a home in the Palm Beach area. He is a frequent guest of President Donald Trump at his Mar-a-Lago club. Though a Democrat, Kraft is friendly with Trump. And then it just goes on to go back to the story. It's like... Seems needless. It's a non sequitur in the middle of a story about Kraft being arrested for prostitution. Because that is... I've mentioned it before on this show. That is what sports writers do that want to inject their political opinions or make something political that is not... And they do so by drawing these lines instead of just saying it themselves. So they protect themselves by drawing lines that don't exactly exist. And this is another case like that. Um, but Borky, in this case, on the ESPN story, there's not even a single writer that's credited. It's from ESPN News Services. It's like a like a amalgamation. Is that what I'm trying to say? Of like multiple reports that are out there, I guess. But even still, that whoever put that in there was just trying to inject their political or was injecting political bias sure. or whatever. You're right. Just to get their agenda across while pretending that is that it is related to the story, which it's not. In a statement, a spokesperson for Kraft said that they quote categorically deny that Mr. Kraft engaged in any illegal activity. And because it is a judicial matter, we will not be commenting further. Jupiter Police Chief Daniel Kerr said he was shocked to learn Kraft, who is worth $6 billion, was paying for sex inside a strip mall massage parlor, the Orchids of Asia Day Spa. The Orchids of Asia Day Spa. Those Florida parlors will get to you. Yeah, we got a bunch to get to with you this afternoon as we wrap up the week. Coming up next, we'll talk some hoops, get you set for the weekend in the SEC right here in the Renaissance Bank studio. I promise we'll move on from this, but I did a quick image search of the Orchids of Asia Day Spa just to see what kind of establishment this looked like. And it looks like exactly what you would expect when somebody says, hey, it's in a strip mall. 
On one side, you've got a nail salon, V&V Nails. On the other side of the Orchids of Asia Day Spa, you've got Mind Quest Escape Game. And then there it is, in the middle, Orchids of Asia Day Spa. It has in vinyl lettering on the windows the phrases massage therapy, table shower, body treatments, facial treatments, waxing. And then in one of the other windows, it's got, you know those... Those signs that are—they're like neon signs, but they're like tube signs where the, the the tubes kind of fill up with neon light. It says massage, and then it's got the open deal with the rectangle around it and facials. We're not talking a high-end spa at all. It doesn't look that bad. Fifty-nine dollars for a half an hour massage, seventy-nine dollars for a, uh, a full hour. Which, that, that's what doesn't make any sense about the entire thing. You're a billionaire. You cannot possibly spend all of the money you have. There are other ways than that. It's just crazy to me. And yet, here we are. And here we are. Uh, still scoreless for Mississippi State and Southern Miss as they go to the top of the fifth inning. Good outing by Ethan Small, four and a third, nine strikeouts for the Bulldogs' starting pitcher. And uh, on the other side, Walker Powell has been really good so far today for Southern Miss. Four innings, two hits, has not struck out a batter, uh, but has gotten Mississippi State to go after a bunch of uh, a bunch of pitches early in the count, and uh, has not uh, allowed a run in the ballgame. So scoreless in Starkville. With Southern Miss batting in the top of the fifth, that game is racing by. They get started at two thirty. It's not quite three thirty. <laughs> They're already in the fifth inning, so uh, pretty good pace there to uh, get things going in Starkville. All right, so basketball for the weekend. Two games here in the Magnolia State. Georgia is at Ole Miss. South Carolina is at Mississippi State. Borky, you asked the question: Is this a must-win for Ole Miss? Rippy, I'll let you answer the question. Yes. Okay, why? Well, it's like it seemed like back like I feel like we had a couple of these in January and early February that they were probably appropriate at the time to call them somewhere on the spectrum of must win and have to have, but it was early. But like it's not really early anymore. It's it's mid to late February. There's only a handful of games left. You know, if Ole Miss wants to punch its ticket to the NCAA tournament without having to do any work in Nashville, they they have to win this game, and it's it's really fairly simple because if they win this, they're nine and five, and the general consensus is ten wins get you into the to the NCAA tournament, no questions asked, without having to do anything in Nashville. So that's nine and five, and you're basically looking to win one of your last four, two home games against Tennessee and Kentucky, probably can't count on that, but two road games, Arkansas, Missouri, if they lose. Now you're eight and six and needing to probably win two road games or pull a pretty monumental upset at home and still win one road game to get to that ten win mark. So in a way, like the Auburn game kind of swung the the pendulum as far as like the outlook of their season and their path to getting a bid pretty severely. This game will as well. Ole Miss right now at um in Ken Palm's power rankings, sitting at number forty two. He projects them to finish 11-7 and seven in conference play. To your point just a moment ago, the remaining schedule, Georgia tomorrow at home, and then Tennessee on Wednesday night at home. 
a road game against Arkansas, a home game against Kentucky, and then a road game against Missouri to um, to finish things out. It, is it a big ask to, say, win consecutive road games to close out the year on, on Saturday, March 2nd against Arkansas, and Saturday, March 9th against Missouri? Is that a big ask or not so much? And Ole Miss is better than both of those teams. And they've been a pretty good road team for the most part. I still think it's a big ask, though, particularly with what... Because they're going to know generally what's on the line with those two games, knowing what they have left at home. So I do think it's a a bit of a big ask. At this point, Ole Miss, um, according to Joe Lunardi, and his most recent bracketology is comfortably in the field. Now, again, there are games still to be played. The top four seeds overall are Duke, Virginia, Tennessee, and Gonzaga. Kentucky, North Carolina, Michigan State, and Michigan are the number two seeds. But then when you get down to kind of the bottom of the stuff that he's looking at, last four buys. So these are teams that wouldn't have to play in a play-in game in Dayton. Oklahoma, UCF, Seton Hall, Arizona State. Last four in. So that would be going four deeper than that. Temple, Minnesota, Alabama, Butler. First four out, next four out. South Carolina is in the next four out group. So South Carolina is at least finally on the radar screen for an NCAA tournament bid. He's got eight SEC teams currently in the field of 68. So how comfortable is Ole Miss right now projected as an eight seat? As they stand right now, probably pretty comfortable. I'm definitely pretty comfortable. But when you, if you throw in a home loss to a team whose net is in the 120s, that alters it pretty drastically. But they're benefiting from the fact that the bubble's pretty weak. And I say pretty weak. Like, I think the last four buys accurately, pretty accurately surmises how weak the bubble is. I mean, Oklahoma is 4-9 and nine in the Big 12, and they're in the last four buys right now. Yeah. You're talking about an Arizona State team in a horrible Pac-12 that is, I want to make sure to look it up and have this right, 9-5 and five and 18-8, and eight, and they're in the last four buys in a league that's... The league's terrible, but Arizona State played a really difficult non-conference schedule. They did, and they have a good win against Mississippi State. They do. But, see, I'm beginning to think now the Pac-12 probably gets two teams in. I know that's an entirely different topic, but you have Oregon State and Arizona State. Are, like One of them, don't you think one of them backs their way into a bid, even if Washington wins the Pac-12 tournament? Yeah. Point being, bubble is bad. So right. Ole Miss is really benefiting from that, and they could probably go to Nashville at nine and nine and and feel okay. You don't want to go if if they do that. You you probably don't want to lose the first game there. But no, if if Ole Miss goes to Nashville nine and nine, that means they finish the regular season one and five in their last six games, right? Because they're eight and five in the league right now. So if they're nine and nine, they had the loss against South Carolina. And 9-9 nine and nine means they win only one of their final six games. South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Missouri. Which for most likely would be winning this Saturday and losing out. It's kind of hard to see that happening. I mean, sure, yeah. You, you project, you know, if you're just going based on how the teams are ranked, you project losses to Tennessee and to Kentucky. But to what we were talking about, it becomes a lot more realistic with a loss Saturday. That makes it more difficult, certainly. That certainly 
makes it more difficult. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Mississippi State, a, a rematch, a round two game against South Carolina tomorrow. And I think Mississippi State's a more talented team than South Carolina is. They are playing at home. There's one thing that I would point to that I think might be a little concerning for Mississippi State. No update today, according to Ben Howland, with regard to Nick Weatherspoon, which means he's not going to play on Saturday. And so Mississippi State is going to play with seven guys. If Reggie Perry and or Abdullah Du were to find themselves in foul trouble, then that is a game that becomes a little more uncomfortable if Chris Silva stays out of foul trouble. Um, Jared Hase had a huge game against... I'm sorry, it was not Hase. It was Mike Kotsar who had a huge game against Mississippi State in the second game of league play when they were at South Carolina. He had a career high in that game. He's a big guy, but he's not huge, and he's not just dynamic. But if Mississippi State, with a lack of depth, were to find itself in in some trouble, in in some foul trouble, then that could perhaps tilt the scales in favor of South Carolina. I, I caught some of you guys yesterday. The play of Lamar Peters has got to be concerning. They're just getting no production out of the point guard spot. I mean, this is Quindary Weatherspoon and Reggie Perry at this point. It feels like a game. I mean. You would ideally want to do this every game, but this is a game where State would really benefit from getting out to a fast start and not letting South Carolina kind of get in the rhythm of a game because they're good enough to beat them, South Carolina beating State, but like if State comes out and starts strong, I don't see South Carolina like erasing a 10- or 12-point deficit. Yeah, South Carolina's been good in close games also. You know, whether it's home or on the road, you know, they've got several close last-possession wins, and they're a team that... I feel like nobody, even to this point, with what they've done in league play, has given them that much credit for what they've accomplished. They're 9-4 and four in the SEC. Coming up next on the Farm Bureau Guest Line, we're going to talk more with Richard Williams about Mississippi State's matchup tomorrow with South Carolina. That's when we continue in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad, covering baseball in Starkville right now. By the way, top of the sixth inning, still scoreless between Southern Miss and Mississippi State. 11 strikeouts for Ethan Small so far in the game. He has been dominant on the mound for the Bulldogs. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, our buddy Richard Williams. He's the color analyst on the Mississippi State radio broadcast for basketball, former head coach in Starkville as well. Richard, as always, appreciate some of your time. Big game tomorrow. I think Mississippi State is in a really good position right now as it pertains to to the NCAA tournament. What's important in your mind specifically about this game tomorrow against South Carolina? Well, it's obviously a conference game that you need to win. Uh, We need to keep winning games. Uh, I'm not sure, other than getting a win over a conference opponent, that it helps uh, Mississippi State much in terms of this net rating stuff. Because South Carolina, even though they're nine and four in the league, Richard, if they keep winning games, uh, and I've looked at their schedule, they they, they should win two or three more games. They, they might be top four in the league going to the tournament. But uh, because of the net rating stuff, it doesn't help Mississippi State that much. 
what it does is hurts because if you lose to a team like South Carolina, it's down around the 80s in this net rating system they're using now, uh, especially a home game, it really hurts your chances. So uh, you don't want that loss because it hurts the net rating. Plus, it's another conference game, and right now Mississippi State 7-6, maybe at two games above 500. Mississippi State right now playing basically seven people in the rotation with uh, Nick Weatherspoon out for an indefinite amount of time. I think Ben Howland talked today and said there was no update to his situation, which uh, leads me to believe he's not going to play uh, in the game tomorrow. The depth has not really bitten them yet. I I thought they played, especially in the second half, really well against Arkansas last Saturday night. Uh, They pushed it out at one point to 17 against Georgia. They're able to hang on for the win how concerning should a seven-player rotation be for Mississippi State, or is that okay? Well, it's been okay the first two times, as you say, but it can be it can be a problem, Richard. Uh, seven guys in the rotation, if you get an injury, now you're down to six guys that have been playing major minutes all year, and uh, not many teams can sustain uh, that kind of uh, lineup with just playing six guys. So you have to hope there are no injuries, especially the perimeter players. Uh, Quindary Weatherspoon right now is averaging 34 minutes a game. Uh, Tyson Carter, who's starting in the place of Nick Weatherspoon, has played like 37, 38 minutes the last two games, and he's not used to that. Uh, he was normally yeah. playing 15 to 16 minutes a game. And I thought both of those players got tired at the end of the Georgia game. Uh, they, they played a lot of minutes. It was a very physical basketball game. And I think both of those guys were tired, but they had to be in there. Lamar Peters, uh, who's uh, you know, been our second or third leading scorer all year long. He didn't score a point. Eric Coleman, who was the second or third leading scorer all year long, he had one basket. So between your uh, top uh, two of your top three scores, they had two points in that game. So Quindary went through a stretch. He just took the game over. And then Tyson was in double figures again. Uh, Reggie Perry was great again for a freshman. He's just playing fantastic. So uh, it's it just if you lose one of those perimeter players, uh, you, you really got issues because you just have nobody else. And uh, what you worry about, not so much just the seven guys playing, but any kind of injury that, that crops up among those, now you have zero depth. Yeah, and then if you get into foul trouble, also an issue uh, in, in that depth scenario as well, although I guess that would be later in the ball game. Uh, two, two different directions based on what you just said that I'd like to go. Let, let's start with Lamar Peters. Uh, what, what's going on with him? Um, you know, it's not just that the scoring's down. Uh, the assist numbers have been down as well. Is there something that we're not seeing, or is he just kind of in a funk? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on it. I'm like you. I, he just the second half of that Georgia game, he just it was almost not there. Uh, it, yeah. You know, he was on the floor, uh, but he just didn't seem to be playing with the normal energy that he has. Uh, I don't know if he's tired because of the minutes he's playing. I don't know if he thinks he's not getting enough shots. I don't know. Uh, we, we know from watching Lamar over the past three years, he's a very emotional player. Uh, his right. emotions can run high, they can go really low. And, and right now, the last couple of games, he hasn't seemed to have had that emotional edge that, that he needs to play. Uh, and, and I think also teams, you know, they have so, uh, the, the, the scouting reports are so detailed now, and teams have, uh, film of every game you've played, every second you've played. And everybody knows he likes to come off those ball screens, get inside the defense, uh, jump stop, make passes, or try to score. And I think people are, are, are doing a better job defending Lamar off the ball screens than they were earlier in the year. 
The other direction I wanted to go, you, you said that Quindary Weatherspoon took the game over down the stretch against Georgia, and I completely agree with that. Should he be doing that more often? Should, should he be asserting himself more than he is? You know, he's the kind of guy that, especially early in games, he doesn't assert himself like I think he should. But, but Richard, our offense, and you've seen us play several times, you've done some of our yeah. games on TV, our offense is not built around getting a particular player's shots. And by that I mean there's not a lot of set plays run for a particular player. Our offense is more of a dribble drive. It's not the old Memphis dribble drive thing, but it depends on players being able to make individual plays, break the defenders down and make individual plays. So uh, Q, early in the games, he, he just doesn't have that aggressiveness that I think he needs. Uh, I think now with Nick out, uh, he's become more aggressive the last couple of games. He went through a stretch in the Georgia game about midway through the first half into the first five, six, seven minutes of that second half. He was unstoppable. I mean, he, he was as good as anybody I've seen here in a long, long time. But again, he's playing so many minutes it, it, that, that it's taking a toll on him. But I'll give you a quick story. I saw him play when he was a junior in high school. I heard all about Quindary Weatherspoon. So I went to a tournament to watch Felma Jackson play. I got there at halftime of the game. After the game, I had to ask somebody, which one was Weatherspoon? He took one shot in that high school game. And he was the best player on the floor. I didn't know it at that time. And that's the only game his team lost that year. They lost to Pearl. Only game his team lost that year, he took one shot. So this something is not something necessarily that's new for Quindary. Uh, he's just—he's not a selfish player, and he just kind of lets the game come to him until the coaches say, "Hey, Q, it's time to go," and then he goes. That, that's interesting that you say that because I had somebody tell me about a conversation that that they had overheard uh, an analyst have with him after a ball game. Said, "Hey, Q, let me let me ask you something. Can you score 40? And his response was, "Well, y- yes, sir, I, I think so." He said, "Then why don't you go do it?" And, and that was John Sunvo. John, it, John it was. told me that conversation after the game. And it, he it, just is so talented. I mean, he, he can score. His three-point shooting is so good now. He's shooting 39%, I mean, uh, 41% from the three-point line, uh, 50% or a little better over the last uh, five games, I think. He right. scores. He's got the mid-range game now, and he's always been able to finish at the rim because he can play against contact. And he's much quicker than you think he is because he's so smooth in the way he plays. I had a scout tell me the other night, a friend of mine, actually you might know this guy, a guy named Eddie Oren, who used to coach at Ole Miss uh, years ago when you were just maybe a youngster. Uh, He said, you know, he's so smooth, he doesn't look quick until he decides to go by somebody. And he goes by everybody. It doesn't matter who's guarding him. He can get by him. So he's really, really a talented player, and and I, I think he needs to assert himself a little more. Well, and I thought the comment from Sunvold to to Q was particularly interesting because of the unselfish type player that John Sunvold is. He's not somebody that's just going to advocate, "Hey, go get forty." No, but it was no. almost like he was saying, "Your your team needs you to go get 40. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting. Well, you know, can you can, could you score forty? And you kind of looked at him. And went, well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, yeah. it's confidence for one thing, and and he probably could go get forty. Uh, yeah. he, he's just that kind of player. He's, if he's not first team all league, I don't know what people are paying attention to because he's having an outstanding year. That is a, a really interesting debate, and I don't know if we've got time to to get way into it. But when you look at the guys that that fall into that first team all SEC category, potentially, mm-hmm. there's a heck of it. Now I, I don't know how many do you put, do you put eight guys on the first team? 
you know, there are only five yeah, on the floor. The but I think that ties or whatever it is. I've seen seven or eight guys on the first team in the past. I don't know how many of them put on there, but there are a lot of guys that deserve that, Richard. He's, Cordero is just the one that I see play every game, so I'm very familiar with him, uh, much more familiar with him than I am other players. Uh, but certainly, sure. if you look at his stats, he's averaging almost 19 points a game. He's averaging over 22 in his last five games. He shoots 51% in the field. He's 82% in the free throw line. He averages over five rebounds a game. Uh, he has 45 steals for the year. I mean, you know, he, he just does so much for this Mississippi State team. Yeah, certainly would be well-deserved if he was named to that first-team All-SEC team when it's uh, when it's said and done. Coach, appreciate your time. Enjoy uh, Enjoy some basketball this weekend. I'm going to try to. Thanks for having Talk. me. Talk to you soon. Always appreciate you joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. That's Richard Williams. I've never been a super analytics, advanced stats, sabermetric baseball guy. And I understand the place in the game, and I understand the way people look at the game of baseball has changed a little bit because of numbers, because of the collection of data and putting that data to use. I, I get it. But I will raise my hand as guilty as charged when it comes to uh, debating the idea of wins versus losses. If you ask me, hey, who's pitching this weekend? Give me, give me the pitching matchup this weekend. I'm going to tell you, Ethan Small starting for uh, Mississippi State. He's 1-0 on the year with a you know, 1.08 ERA. And uh, Walker Powell is going for Southern Miss. He's also 1-0 with a you know, 2.13 ERA. I just made those numbers up. I don't know what they actually are. But that idea kind of gets thrown out the window. The importance of wins and losses, when you look at a stat line like this, and you follow it up with, and cannot be the winning pitcher. Ethan Small from Mississippi State will take a no decision today after seven scoreless innings in which he allowed two base runners, an infield single, and a hit batter, and struck out 13 on a total of 84 pitches with 59 strikes. But because it is a 0-0 game, he will not be the winning pitcher for Mississippi State. And kind of gives credence to the whole idea that the, 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 the barometer of wins and losses is pretty dumb. Is it dumb? Or is it just not important? It's dumb. It's not important. I wouldn't go dumb because we attribute a bunch of Super Bowl wins to quarterbacks, but, I mean, they had defenses that played as well. Look Peyton Manning won. Look at Peyton Manning's second Super Bowl. I could have played quarterback and probably still made the playoffs with that team. I mean, he, could, he couldn't well, throw the football. Crazy. It's called hyperbole. I understand your point. He couldn't throw the football, and he still is. He won two Super Bowls. No, he didn't win that second one. He was on the team that won that second one, but he didn't win it. Lee Belt pretty good out of the bullpen. Gets uh, Southern Miss 1-2-3 in the top of the eighth inning. So, all is... Look at DeGrom. He won the NL Cy Young with a 10-9 record and a 1.70 ERA. Yeah, that's a good. It's a really good as point. As long as you provide the context, that's what matters. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on Super Talk Mississippi on this Friday afternoon. Carrying you into the weekend, Richard Cross, 
Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad, is at Duty Noble watching a pitcher's duel, a gem of a pitcher's duel in Starkville with uh, Game 1 between Mississippi State and Southern Miss happening right now. They're already headed to the bottom of the eighth inning after one hour and 40 minutes of baseball. That is a great pace. That'll keep you engaged even in a really tight ball game. Sports Talk brought to you, as I said, by Mississippi Land Bank. Today is the day. Now, I understand that it's not ideal to get outside right now. But, for example, if you live in Starkville, it's not raining. They're playing baseball, and it's not raining. And you can stop by your Mississippi Land Bank office. I doubt they've got anything left from lunch, but I bet they do have a few trees left. Because Mississippi Land Bank today, on their tree giveaway day, was giving away 20,000 trees. 10,000 oak trees, small ones, saplings, 2,000 cypress trees, and 8,000 loblolly pines bunch of different varieties of oak trees as well at all the six main branches of Mississippi Land Bank. So tree giveaway day. If you're in a spot where it's raining like crazy right now, put on your raincoat and go grab a tree. Once it dries, think about it. It's going to be easy to plant it because the ground's so soft. It's not like you're going to have to dig a deep hole with a rock, rock hard. Great chance for you to plant a tree for free, courtesy of Mississippi Land Bank. You've got about an hour left until their branches close on this Friday afternoon. You can text the show, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That is the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. So let's dive into this baseball thing a little bit. We've been giving you updates throughout the day of Mississippi State and Southern Miss. They are scoreless right now in the bottom of the eighth inning Mississippi State leading things off there, trying to get on the board and steal one from the Golden Eagles. It's been a good game. Ole Miss and Tulane will meet tonight in New Orleans. First pitch at 7? 6.30, I think. 6.30. Uh, you'll, you'll get that game on many of these stations on the Ole Miss radio network. Tulane off to a 5-0 and start. They scored a bunch of runs early in the year. It's a Tulane team that wasn't very good a year ago, and they weren't very good two years ago. I think they'll be in the 3-4 to four range, or 3-5 to five range in the American. Well, like eight, I think American has eight teams that play baseball. So you think big step forward this year? A step forward. I guess that's middle of the pack. Yeah. Only eight teams in the... Because in the, SMU doesn't play baseball, I know that. Anyway, we don't have to look all of those up right now. Um... Can Ole Miss, uh, I mean, offensively, you're not worried about Ole Miss anywhere they go. What about uh, a two-lane offense that's put up a bunch of runs in their uh, their first few games of the season? Any concerns about pitching for Ole Miss? Well, yeah, but not necessarily because of the sample size. Right now they're down a Friday night starter in Will Etheridge, who's not going to pitch this weekend, trying to patch up a blister that, he, that surfaced in his opening day outing. He... It sounded like he maybe could have pitched if he really had to this weekend, but it's one of those things where I don't think they want to fight it week after week, and they just kind of want it to go away. So you have Zach Phillips tonight, Houston Roth tomorrow, and Gunnar Hoagland on Sunday. So, you know, anytime you lose a Friday night guy, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the rotation reacts. Honestly, Bianco probably feels most confident on Saturday having a guy in Roth that's kind of been there, done that, whether it's a midweek starter or some... Some pretty high leverage relief situations on the weekends last year, but 
I think you're always concerned when you're down a starter. Last weekend, Tulane beat George Washington three to two, seven to six in thirteen innings and sixteen to six. They played a pair of midweek games against Lamar in New Orleans, beat them nine to one and twenty two to ten. So a bunch of runs scored, but they've given some runs up as well. Obviously, it's a different level of competition this weekend with Ole Miss in town. 6.30 tonight, 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, and 1 o'clock on Sunday. Doesn't look like weather's going to be an issue tonight, potentially an issue tomorrow, and then Sunday uh, looks like what, low 60s and sunny, or maybe high 50s and sunny, so uh, no issues, even if they've got to try and play two on uh, on Sunday afternoon. So those are the uh, the two series that are involving the three um Division One teams in the, the state of Mississippi from a baseball standpoint. Other games this weekend in the SEC, and there's some interesting series that are out there. Kentucky is at Texas Tech. Texas Tech dropped one last weekend to Oregon. They are a preseason top 10 team, top 5 team by a lot of people, and Kentucky's really got some arms, got off to a good start, but not a difficult schedule to start the year. That'll be an interesting series. It's this time of year when you have so many teams trying to they're not tune ups, but you rarely get a ton of marquee matchups in one weekend in non conference college. Baseball and you got a couple this weekend, whether it's what's going on right now in Starkville, uh what, Florida, Miami, and then Texas Tech, Kentucky. Yeah. Some uh you've also got Indiana at Tennessee. Tennessee off to a good start. Did not allow a run last weekend in their uh, three-game sweep of Appalachian State. They lead 3-0 over Indiana. That is the former team of Chris Lamonis, now the head coach at Mississippi State. Bulldogs have got a runner at second with two out in the bottom of the eighth inning. Pepperdine and Vanderbilt are supposed to play in Nashville, and maybe Vanderbilt should have just stayed on the West Coast. They are delayed because of weather issues in Nashville last weekend. Vanderbilt went 2-1. and one. Uh, with a win against Virginia, a win against Cal State Fullerton, and a loss to TCU. Auburn and UCF get started. That could be a pretty good series, and that one's down in Orlando. Greg Lovelady is the head coach at UCF, and just a few years, I guess five years ago, he was the head coach at Wright State. Uh, so got the UCF job after leaving Wright State. Ball State's at Alabama. Miami is at number 5 Florida. That game gets started at 5.30 Central time. Missouri is facing Rhode Island later today. Missouri played yesterday. They are still in the state of Florida. They uh, decided to go where it was warm to, uh, to start the season, which, again, made a lot of sense. They lost 4-3 to last night to Northeastern. Uh, I don't think that's a great RPI loss for Missouri early in the year. Um, no, but their RPI probably took a boost with North Florida taking a game from my uh, Florida in the midweek. Didn't hurt. Didn't hurt at all. Uh, Illinois-Chicago is at Texas A&M. Bryant is at LSU. Arkansas and Southern Cal continue their series after Arkansas won game one in Los Angeles. Coats on. Long sleeves and coats in Los Angeles last night. 6-3 to three was the final. Georgia's game today against UMass Lowell has been postponed until Sunday because of rain. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
you like a pitcher's duel, you like what's happening in Starkville. Scoreless as they go to the top of the ninth inning. Big series between number 21, Southern Miss, and number 9, Mississippi State. Game 1 headed to the top of the ninth inning. Scoreless, both starting pitchers are out of the ball game. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Hey, Dad is covering Mississippi State and Southern Miss at Duty Noble. Right now we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Let's go out west and check out our buddy uh, Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball, College Baseball today. Uh, last time we talked, you were getting ready to go ski. It looked from the pictures that I saw, Eric, like if you had snow, you could have skied in Southern California last night. What's up with the weather? Cold on the West Coast. Last week it was raining in Arizona. We hadn't seen yep. the sun in North Mississippi in like eight days now. Let's get this right. Somebody needs to let Mother Nature know baseball season's here. Yeah, Mother Nature's being a little bit of a jerk, just like she always kind of does to our sport this time And of that year, stupid which... groundhog. Jeez. <laughs> Don't even get me started about that lazy SOB. But, yeah, it's, no, it's, yeah, everything's kind of weird. I was at probably one of my coldest baseball games I've ever been to last night with Arkansas and USC. Luckily, the winds died down right as the game started because that's what was making it miserable. But, yeah, it's a little bit weird, and we're, we always have to kind of deal with, uh, with weather when you start playing in, the, you know, in mid-February and everything. So that kind of comes with the territory. What did you think of Arkansas last night? They get a 6-3 win against Southern California. I don't, uh, admittedly don't know a ton. Um, uh, about yeah. Southern Cal uh, right now. I know West Coast baseball, we, we hope, is going to bounce back and be a little more competitive than it has been the last couple of seasons. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. Well, yeah, I think the Pac-12 is not not necessarily USC, but there's a lot of teams that prove that they're being kind of a strong, that they're going to make a strong field for the Pac-12 this year. But, yeah, I'm not certain USC is up to snuff yet. Um, they took two out of three from uh, UNO and Omaha, from University of Nebraska Omaha, so you kind of get an idea. But last night, Arkansas, it wasn't a dominant performance per se, but they really showed really good defense. That was one of the things that stuck out at me, especially the freshman, the, the third baseman, Jacob Nesbitt, and their uh, left fielder. Uh, let me try hang on. I have it down here. Yeah, Christian Franklin, uh, another freshman out in left field, made a great diving catch. And, and Dave Van Horn, after the game, just kind of mentioned, yeah, we had good pitching. We had just enough offense, but our defense played a little bit better than I expected. And that's kind of going to be something that will probably carry them a little bit this year. I mean, obviously you have Casey Martin and Heston Kersett at the top of the order, two sophomores yeah. that are all Americans. But, yeah, I, I think Arkansas – it's still kind of a work. Um, it's kind of a work in progress, but they showed some flashes of a re- being a really good defensive team and just enough offense. And uh, it kind of all depends on how their pitching comes around. But Dave Van Horn likes a lot of the pitchers he's got. They lost a lot, obviously. He likes the pitchers they got coming back and some of the newbies. He talked about that freshman class a, get, a good bit last night. And uh, so it's kind of going to be a team. That's young, which is going to mean a lot of ups and downs probably, but I think they've still got talent. They're still going to be, you know, NCAA tournament type team. I'm not sure if they're an Omaha type team, however, yet. Eric, I'm curious what you thought about Casey Martin defensively last night. He placed third base a year ago. He's a freshman All-American last season, had really good offensive numbers, makes the transition to shortstop, which I guess is his more natural position. And you guys at yeah. D1 Baseball ranked him as the number one shortstop in the entire country. What did you see from him last night? Yeah, he, he's he's tough to ignore. I, I, I'll put it that way. One of the things that I thought about was USC's pitcher. In the second inning, he kind of let a couple of walks go, and then against the number nine batter, he had a full count, and there were two outs. And I was thinking to myself, 
man, he better get this guy out. And that was that was the freshman I just mentioned. Uh, uh, Christian Franklin was up. And he walked Christian Franklin, and I thought, oh, this is trouble. Because Casey Martin's at the top of the order. He's coming up, and base is loaded. And sure enough, he, he cranked out a double that hit off the wall. Uh, obviously, nothing is wrong with his bat, to say the least. Defensively, he seemed to do good. I don't remember him having a whole lot of chances. I think maybe two or three. He, he made, you know, he did that fine. He did, covered those fine. It was no problem. But yeah, it's just his natural talent. I mean, he's he's tough to ignore. Like I said, he's he's going to be a um, he's going to be an All American and hitting at the top of the order. Really, an interesting thing that they're doing with him having him hit first in that order. So he's just as good as, as we left off from Omaha last year, and, and that's uh, that's a good thing for Arkansas fans. That's for sure. Eric Sorensen on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Stitch underscore Head. Covers college baseball all over the country. This weekend he is in Southern California. You going to Arkansas, um, Southern Cal again tonight, or picking out a different game? No, tomorrow. Actually, I was uh, I was going to go down to San Diego tomorrow to the Tony Gwynn Classic. Um, gotcha. Tonight's game. Tonight's game. I'm just going to try and fall out from last night. So yeah, I'll be I'll be going down to San Diego tomorrow. I, I'm curious. Vanderbilt last weekend, they, they win their opener against Virginia, and they score a bunch of runs. Uh, yeah. They win against Fullerton, and then they lose against TCU. I think one through nine, that's a, an order that's going to be scary all season long. Sure. How much concern do you have, though, about Vanderbilt's pitching? Because they gave up a bunch of runs even in those two wins. Yeah, that was the thing. I, that was the thing that jumped out at me. One of the things I put on my ouch list last Monday, back on Monday, is that Vanderbilt's pitching is is a big? It's it's not a big. It's we're not. It's not a three alarm fire yet, but it's just kind of a red flag. You know, you don't expect them to give up. What was it twenty eight runs? I think it was in three games. Um, especially to a team like Fullerton's not a great offensive team, but they still gave up nine runs. And then uh, yeah, that blowout loss to TCU was a little bit of an eyebrow raiser too. So yeah, let's wait and see how they do. Let's not let's not jump on them too much right now. But it was really weird to see. I think we had I think D one baseball had five Vanderbilt pitchers in the top fifty of this year's upcoming maybe top fifty, top seventy five of this year's upcoming draft prospects. So it's weird that they gave up even no matter who took them out, it was just weird to see them put up those kind of crooked numbers uh score against them. Uh so that's one of the things that if this is really kind of a Mondo Bizarro world. If it continues like that, that's just going to be really strange. It's going to be really strange, and I guess it's one of those things where they're, they're kind of, you know, obviously we're evaluating them on future talent, not necessarily how they're doing right now. So sure. We'll see what happens with that. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not, like I said, not, not having any kind of alarms yet, but it is something to keeping an eye on uh, here for the weeks to come. So you know that, like you, I'm a college baseball junkie, so forgive me for this question being a little <laughs> off the rails. Sure. Let's exclude the SEC from from this conversation. What's your yeah. favorite kind of semi off the radar ballpark? Oh, I'm, well, actually, there's there's a couple. Pepperdine, who by the way plays Vanderbilt this weekend. Pepperdine's always one of my favorite places to go to. It's just an enjoyable ride up Pacific Coast Highway to in Malibu, and it overlooks the ocean. That's a great that's a great atmosphere. I love just going there and kind of chilling out. It's not a duty noble type, obviously. That's like full of intensity or anything. And also like BYU, when you look out beyond, BYU is just surrounded by mountains, and most of the time they're going to be snow-capped until about April or so, or like late April. 
and they've just got a, a really, really good ballpark. One of the more underrated parks in the country. It's really well designed, and it's, it's fairly new. I think it's about 10 years old now. So those are two that I really like. And, of course, it's hard to argue going to Hawaii and <laughs> and seeing Diamond Head off in the distance over the right field wall that, uh, at Les Murakami Stadium. So if you want to say outside of the SEC, those are like three of my favorite places to go to a game. Again, it's not for – you know, the postseason atmosphere, like a Florida State would be like that, I guess, if you wanted to equate that with that, with that uh, criteria. But Fair just, enough. Just hey, to go to ballgames there. Yeah. Just a couple of minutes left. Big picture observations sure. from week one in the SEC. Oh, from the SEC? Yeah, look, the SEC is just as, as, as strong as it's been. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's still a little while. I, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the most rigorous of schedules the first, uh, for the first weekend. Uh, there were a couple of good matchups, and, and, I, and I got to go see Florida play down against Vanderbilt last week. I'm not saying Florida against Long Beach State, I should say, last week. Sure. And Florida, Florida looked good. I, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're world beaters yet, and Tyler Dyson had a rough start. But I think Florida, they have a couple of freshmen, too, that are just really outstanding in the field. And so you're going to see some new guys, uh, some, some freshmen that come in this year, and it's really going to make a big impact. Uh, I, I think LSU's got a couple of pitchers that uh, Landon Marceau comes to mind. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, the SEC is going to be strong again. I think one thing that's going to be, though, is a little bit younger, just as a, you know, as a group a little bit younger across the board, so you might see a little bit more highs and a little bit more peaks and valleys than you normally do from the SEC. But, uh, again, you're going to have your handful of teams like uh, Vanderbilt if they get their pitching you know, worked out, of course. Florida is always going to be there. LSU's strong again. And everybody has LSU as either number one or number two. And I think there's a couple of, couple of, couple of teams kind of in the weeds, like I think Auburn, even though they lost Casey Mize from last year, I think they're a really talented team and got a lot of guys back. And, of course, your boys there, Old Miss and Mississippi State, and your part of the country, probably not going to miss many beats this year either, especially Old Miss with all that power they have coming back in the batting order and, and, uh, and some of the pitches they got coming in. So it's going to be a fun year, to say the least. And I think, again, right now, they're probably going to be the best conference again. Sometimes those things kind of ebb and flow a little bit, but it, the SEC is always up there in the conversation, if not the best. So be a fun year for you guys, and I, I look forward to keeping up with it, of course. And we look forward to talking to you on a regular basis throughout the season. Thank you, my friend. Rich, thanks for sharing the airwaves, man. Looking forward to it again. Hawk is the winning pitcher for Southern Miss. Comes in in relief of the starter, Walker Powell. Powell went seven and two-thirds. Hawk throws two and a third scoreless. Gave up two hits. Struck out a couple. Southern Miss got a run in the top of the 10th inning, and they went one nothing over Mississippi State to take Game 1 of the three-game series. They swept Mississippi State in Hattiesburg a year ago, and they get the win one nothing today in Game 1 of the series. What an incredibly well-pitched game by both of those teams today. Starters were great. Powell for Southern Miss, again, seven and two-thirds, five hits, scoreless. And for Mississippi State, Ethan Small was basically untouchable. Seven innings, one hit, 13 strikeouts, and a hit batter. So he only allowed two over the minimum through seven innings. And through his first two starts of the season, has a 0.95 ERA. Good win for Southern Miss as they stay undefeated on the year. 
and they hand Mississippi State their first loss of the season. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming with you, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. At Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing land for over 100 years. Whether you're a farmer with farmer with equipment needs, you need to buy a land, you need to get a crop loan, you need to refinance an existing loan, or you're just a, just a person trying to, well, build a dream house or buy a piece of property, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do, it's what they know, and they are people that I promise you are going to enjoy doing business with. Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Glad to be with you on this Friday afternoon. And uh, right now we will switch gears from baseball over to football for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Currently at Ford, it is truck month, which means great deals on the F-Series, the best-selling line of trucks in America for 42 consecutive years. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today. Derek Mason, head football coach at Vanderbilt, maybe a little surprising here, gets a contract extension. That was announced by the university earlier today. Terms of the agreement not released. They never released those at Vanderbilt because they're a private school and they don't have to. In 2017, so a couple of years ago, Derek Mason's contract was extended from two years out to five years. He had three years remaining on his contract before this extension. According to the most recently available university tax returns, Derek Mason was making $2.8 million a year, which ranked 12th among the 14 SEC coaches. Current salary not available to the public, again, because Vanderbilt's private and they do whatever they want to do. Uh, a little uncertain whether Derek Mason agreed in principle to the extension with the former AD, David Williams, who passed away, or if this was initiated by the new AD, Malcolm Turner. Uh, David Williams died on February 8th, just eight days after his official retirement. Vanderbilt played in its second bowl game in three years and pulled off its first three-game winning streak over rival Tennessee since the 1920s. Vanderbilt went 6-7 and seven last year, lost in the uh, Texas Bowl to Baylor by a score of 45-38. to 38. So guys, if, you rewind, if we rewind to July, August, kind of going into the season, there was talk about Derek Mason potentially being on the hot seat. You go to a bowl game at Vanderbilt, and I think it makes sense that you get an extension. You agree? Yeah. Orky, you, you agree? You, you extend the Vanderbilt head coach anytime he gets to a bowl game? Pretty much, yeah, especially with their what they're up against. I never thought that Derek Mason got a fair shake because he was the guy after the guy. I mean, James Franklin was the best coach in Vanderbilt history, was winning games there that uh, nobody thought that they could, had them playing at an actual high level, were recruiting at a high level for them, and he was the one to follow that guy. And his first year was a disaster. I mean, it looked like he had to learn on the job almost and has steadily put a product on the field that you can actually respect when they play. They'll never never be able to recruit at a high level at all with their academic standards, and the university actively chooses not to put money into the football program at all. 
So, yeah, if you're going to bowl games, then you should keep your job at a place like that. He puts on the field the best realistic product Vanderbilt can offer. What do you mean by that? Like Borky said, it's respectable. Like you, when when you step on the field against them and shoot an Ole Miss's bad years, they've given Ole Miss fits. But like they're going to give you a game. They're going to be athletically outmatched, and they're probably going to fade late in the game, which is what you saw a lot last year. But they're going to give you a good fight. They're going to get to a bowl game every couple years, and they're never going to be awful aside from his first year. Vanderbilt dead last in the SEC in the recruiting rankings. And so they're fighting an uphill battle. Commodores did not sign a single five-star or four-star recruit. They signed 20 three-star players out of their 21 commitments. In the SEC, the only teams not to pull a five-star player in the most recent recruiting cycle, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Florida. Now, Florida finished fifth overall in the league in recruiting rankings, in the composite rankings, but that's because they had 17 four-star players. You can win a bunch with that. Vanderbilt is the only player, or the only school in the SEC, that did not have a commitment from a four-star player. So, to me, when you just admit you cannot recruit the same way at Vanderbilt that you can everywhere else, it's just not possible. And yet you're still putting, using the words that both of you guys used, a competitive product on the field, a team that plays hard, a team that's coached well, and a team that gets to a bowl game, then I think you look at the job that Derek Mason's doing it, and you go, that's really impressive. It's almost like he's doing it with one hand tied in his, behind his back. It's the worst facilities. It's the hardest place to recruit. There is very little fan support for football, and there has been very little emphasis on football from a, a financial standpoint, from a commitment standpoint, as is evidenced by the stadium. And frankly as is evidenced by the fact that the most recent salary you had for Derek Mason was $2.8 million. Now, that's a lot of money. It's just not a lot of money in the SEC football coaches' salary landscape. We've got coordinators in this league about to make that. To make $2.8 million? Dave Aranda will be the first one. Goodness. He's not that far off, is he? I was thinking he was like 2.3. It's I would creeping up that there. not that far off. Yeah, I mean, half a million away, I guess it's a, it's a good point. Um, don't get me wrong. Derek Mason's not going to eat at the soup kitchen anytime soon. The only reason he's going to the soup kitchen is if he's volunteering to help serve. Dave Aranda receives a four-year deal that pays him $2.5 million annually. $2.5 million a year to be the coordinator. <laughs> Jeez. That's incredible. That is incredible. So, tip of the cap to um, to Derek Mason getting that contract extension. You got to assume that his salary has gone up a little bit somewhere a- along the way. Kind of a quiet time on the uh, the college football front. You did have um, Ole Miss Athletics releasing the spring football schedule today. 
You're about to see a bunch of those coming out. I told Rippy, hey, Rippy, did you realize that spring practice for Ole Miss starts next Thursday? He said, next Thursday? Oh, no. No, I didn't. <laughs> you got a, a pre-spring press conference next Tuesday. First practice is on Thursday, and it culminates on Saturday, April 6th with Groval. That game is at 3 o'clock on the uh, on the SEC network. Also mixed in there on Friday, April 29th, will be Ole Miss's Pro Day. So, um, golly, it's here. Spring practice is here. Hopefully the news will pick up. This is the worst time in the world to, to do just college football, but for me, from preparing the show and, and that kind of stuff, now that we've got the crossover with basketball and baseball, I'm thrilled. Me too. Hey, Borky, let's do something next week. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks, and we haven't done it yet, and I don't think it's too early. Let's uh, at least at least one day next week, let's take a look at the opening weekend football schedule. There's some interesting games to, uh, to start the year next season. LSU-Texas, Oregon-Auburn, Ole Miss-Memphis. Not quite the same as those other two. I don't see the difference. It's a very important game, at least. It, it is important. It is that. Um, Ole Miss does not ease into the schedule next year with uh, Memphis followed by an SEC game at home against Arkansas and then Cal coming out of the Pac-12 in Week 3. Their season will be shaped pretty quickly. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. One baseball game in the books this weekend in the SEC in the state of Mississippi. Southern Miss wins one to nothing in ten innings over Mississippi State to take game one of a three-game series. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Friday afternoon. Rolling into the weekend with you just after 5 o'clock. Welcome to the weekend. I probably should have said that about 15 minutes ago. Got some scores to pass along to you beyond just the one in Starkville. Texas Tech takes game one of a three-game series with Kentucky. Texas Tech ranked third in the country in the D1 baseball poll. They win at 7-4. South Carolina leading 9-3 over Utah Valley in the top of the sixth inning. Tennessee's finally allowed a run. It's 3-1. The Vols leading it over Indiana top of the sixth inning. They're just underway in Orlando. Auburn and UCF scoreless early. Ball State and Alabama playing in Tuscaloosa with the Tide leading 3 to nothing over Ball State in the bottom of the first. Later tonight, Miami is at number 5 Florida. That's at 5.30. Missouri's at Ro- I'm sorry, Missouri and Rhode Island are playing in Fort Myers tonight at 6. At 6.30, number 10 Ole Miss is at Tulane. Illinois, Chicago, the Flames are at Texas A&M. Bryant is at number 2 LSU. Arkansas and South Carolina go to Game 2 of their series tonight at 8 o'clock Central Time. That is 6 o'clock on the West Coast. The Razorbacks won yesterday over Southern Cal in game one of the series by a final of 6-3. to three. Postponements, a couple of those. UMass Lowell at Georgia. They pushed today's game to Sunday. We'll try and play a doubleheader on Sunday. I guess they're going to try and get that game in tomorrow. And then uh, Pepperdine is uh, at Vanderbilt. That game has been postponed uh, until tomorrow, so the, I guess they'll try and play two tomorrow in Nashville as uh, they meet Vanderbilt. 
Rippy, we were talking earlier with Eric Sorensen kind of about some high-level observations based on what you saw, the scores you followed in the first weekend and the midweek games. Is there anything that jumps out at you uh, early, early in the baseball season? Nothing glaringly. I thought Vanderbilt had I, – I know they lost a game, but I thought they had a pretty good weekend overall hitting-wise. But the, I guess one of the more surprising things was how many runs they gave up in those games. But it's so early and it's such a small sample size, it's hard to make any kind of glaring judgment from three and four games out of 58. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. I, I certainly think that's fair. When you look around the league um, – you know, we talked about Vanderbilt. I've asked a couple of different people that question. Is there a concern about Vanderbilt's pitching based on the number of runs they gave up in the in the first weekend despite going 2-1? and one? I mean, you know that's a talented roster, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one weekend. And if they have two or three more heading into conference play similarly, then you're probably starting to worry. But, like, you can't really draw much from that. Yeah. Um, LSU... You know, they gave up some runs. They have a walk-off win against Army. They had a, a tight midweek game against ULM. Florida was impressive against Long Beach State, but then they get blitzed in the midweek by North Florida. It's not really unlike a Kelvin O'Sullivan team, though, to lose some midweek games, especially early in the year. Yeah, he helps out some mid-majors with some RPI wins. <laughs> he, he certainly uh, certainly does that. And it's usually mid-majors in the state of Florida. Yes, uh Although he had that deal where he canceled the game on Stetson a couple years ago when the, they were up like 10 to 1 or something like that. I can't remember. It was, I can't remember the exact scenario, but it was like four innings or something and it wasn't an official game yet. And Stetson was like beating them pretty soundly and they canceled the game with no makeup. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Well, but I mean, there's no reason to take a loss if you don't have to. Borky, what about you? Is there anything that, uh, that you've seen so far? I've got to watch more games before I can really dive deep and have a more developed opinion. I've been focused in on NBA stuff and college basketball. I'm having a hard time turning the page away from college basketball now, Richard. You got me into basketball, and now you're asking me to turn the page. It's hard to keep up with. No, I'm not asking you to turn the page. I'm asking you to multitask. You know, that's hard for people with brains like mine to do. It's hard for most people to do. It is February, after all. Yeah. What did you um, think? We didn't get to ask you. What did you think about Zion and the shoe exploding and the injury and all of that stuff? You know, I was actually doing a game uh, while that was happening. I- I'm sure the ESPNU broadcast of Wichita State Tulsa, I'm sure it pulled a big number going head to head with Duke Carolina, <laughs> first of all, on ESPN. Um, so I was watching the score as our game was going on, but I, I never went to Twitter and saw anything about the injury. And so, yeah, I kind of made a couple of jokes. I was like, you know, boy, who saw this coming? You know, North Carolina leading by 17. North Carolina's up 19. Duke's cut it to 14. But I didn't have the full context of what was going on. When I got back to the hotel room late Wednesday night and was watching Sports Center, I was like, oh, I love the, the Barack Obama meme where you see Mike Krzyzewski, and in the sight line directly over the shoulder of Mike Krzyzewski, you have Barack Obama with this look of bewilderment on his face where he goes, he broke his shoe. or Oh, no, he said his shoe broke. And that's exactly what happened. He kind of had to watch it close because you, you watch it the first time and it looks like he slips. He didn't slip. 
His foot went through his shoe. It's not a great look for Nike, right? Does it? Does this help Zion Williamson in his contract negotiation with Nike going forward? Look, man, you already had a shoe blow out on me. I could easily go to Puma it's or Under Armour. Guarantees they're going to give him a fat contract offer, though. It will not be a small deal. It for him. It will not be a small deal. I think me and Borky were hoping for some like hot take from you. That's what the rest of the sports media world was all over that. Yeah, I guess we didn't get the memo yesterday, Richard, that we were supposed to have just the strongest of opinions that we should tell Zion what to do with the rest of his college season. Yeah, if he ever wants to surpass LeBron's legacy, he needs to hang it up now. Done with college hoops. Is it is it crazy to think that when you watch him play, it looks like he likes basketball? He does, and that's why he got those ridiculous questions earlier in the year about whether he should hang it up before there was an injury, and like he was like, no, I like playing college basketball. I'm not going to quit on my teammates. Like said all the quote-unquote right things, but let the kid play if he wants to play. Well, and, and there was a quote that he had last week that said he wanted to play college basketball, and even if the NBA rules had been different, he would have gone to college for a year. And everybody's immediate reaction was like, yeah, right, whatever, man, okay. He's gotten better in college. He has. And I I saw somebody I thought make a really good point. He's getting better coaching this year than he'll get next year with the Knicks. And exposure. But no, but Exposure, no doubt. But specifically coaching. He's got a Hall of Famer, a guy who many consider to be the greatest of all time, who is the head basketball coach of USA and has been co- different than a lot of college coaches. Mike Krzyzewski has been coaching pros on his team, and he has been coaching actual pros with USA Basketball for a long time. I don't know if he necessarily needs college basketball, but like it certainly has helped him. Like It hasn't been this pointless exercise on his way to being a millionaire. All right, here's a question for you. And I hope this is going at it at a little bit different angle than the other 7,000 talking heads that you referenced just a second ago, Borky. Who's got more name recognition right now? Zion Williamson or Luka Doncic? Luka. I think it's Zion just because ESPN crams the guy in our face. I don't even think it's close. Now, who's the more accomplished basketball player right now? That's Luca. I mean, look what he's doing with the Dallas Mavericks. He's guy's a superstar. He is potentially on his way to All Pro as a rookie, nineteen-year-old, and he plays in a way that I think veteran free agents are going to want to go play with the guy eventually. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. He distributes the basketball. He can go for forty if he needs to. He's pretty fun. good ball handler. It's fun to watch. Really good player. Borky, I, I I could not disagree with you more though. I I don't think it's even close. And I, I may be I may be completely wrong on this. I just disagree. I don't even think it's close. I think the name recognition for Zion Williamson right now is way bigger than that of Luka Doncic, who is the best. Yeah, one or two. He's the best rookie in the game right now, isn't he? Is there a debate there? Maybe. No, he is. No, I don't think it's so, close so, this year. So, so he is at Duke. 
And to the point of Rippy, I mean, we make jokes because every single basketball game I do that's not SEC Network specific, there's a Duke promo in there. And Zion Williamson's name. ESPN has absolutely gone overkill on Zion because it draws eyeballs. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad's in Starkville today covering Mississippi State Southern Miss. What a game. One to nothing. Southern Miss wins it in 10 innings in game one of this weekend's three-game series. And to talk a little bit more about that, Aaron Fitt joins us right now from Starkville. It was not sunny in 70, Aaron, but it could have been worse. The uh, The rain finally held off for like the first time in a week in Mississippi, and uh and you were treated to a heck of a pitcher's duel. Yeah, this was the, the best regular season game I, I've seen in, in quite some time. I mean, this was really, really good theater. You know, I mean, you had two pitchers that were in a zone and doing it different ways. Ethan Small with all the strikeouts and, um, you know, Walker Powell just pitching in contact. And, uh, you know, you looked up and there's zeros on the board for nine innings and both teams are flashing leather. And especially, I thought Mississippi State uh, played just sensational defense. I mean, they had two you know, four-star catches in the outfield, a great yep. play behind the plate from Skelton. And I thought, really, they played at a top-notch level. They just couldn't get the, the big hit across, and, uh, and Southern Miss did. Is there any concern with you for, for Mississippi State's offense? I saw some of the quotes on, on Twitter that Chris Lamonis had after the game where he says this is not a good offense right now. Is there reason for concern, or do you think they're okay? No, I'm not concerned. I mean, you know, it, it's it's a long season, and of course, you're going to go through your your peaks and your valleys. And you know, it's it's probably just as well to go through a valley right now. And you know, you got things to, to work on. You got time to figure it out. Uh, but if you look at the, the personnel that they have here, I mean, they're going to hit. I mean, they're going to hit a lot. I think right now, there's some guys pressing a little bit. I mean, um, you know, I think Mangum and and, and Jordan in particular top the lineup. They're so aggressive, and, and that's you know part of their strength. But um, they're, I think, maybe forcing it just a little bit. I mean, they're swinging at the first pitch every time up, and I know that's you know that's how they, they go. They're aggressive players, but you know maybe see a few more pitches and try to get us up in a little bit more of a rhythm because right now it just feels like they're getting themselves out early in counts very often, and it's allowing the opposing pitcher to get deep into a ball game. Aaron Fitt with D1 Baseball on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Fitt. He's in Starkville, was at Duty Noble for a one nothing Southern Miss win in 10 innings over Mississippi State. I know you can't tell a lot about the offense because of this, but what's your takeaway with, with Southern Miss, a team that's off to a really good start? Uh, I think you guys at D1 had them just outside the top 25 kind of going into the season. How good can this team be this year? Yeah, I think they're going to be very good. We did pick them to win Conference USA, um, and, and I think they were unofficially our, our 26th team in our preseason top 25. So we were high on these guys, you know, and um, just a matter of seeing how a few things would shake out. In particular, I don't know what they're going to do on the mound now on Sunday with uh, with Walner uh, not pitching for the foreseeable future. Frankly, I don't know if he'll pitch again this year. I mean, I think at this point. Uh, who knows? And I'm, I'm just speculating here, but and sure. that was kind of a key piece that we thought they were counting on. He's a big power arm. You know, there could have been a difference maker as, as a rotation guy, um, as electric as his stuff had been, you know, in, in the fall and in the early spring. So that changes the outlook for them just a little bit. I still am eager to see um, how their pitching depth looks over the course of the weekend. 
Um, you know, certainly we know they've got a couple of uh, good pieces of front end there with Walker Powell and, and MCU Powers, and those guys you can count on. Um, and, and I like the bullpen guys so far. I mean, certainly Ryan Auk was awesome today. A really good, yeah. tough lefty that they can bring out there and give you two or three innings. So, uh, so far, so good. Aaron, I will admit to the fact that I'm a big Scott Berry fan, and we talked with him earlier this week, kind of talked to him each week during the season, but I was kind of struck by the abundance of caution that it seems like he's going forward with with Matt Walner. I think they really want him to be a part of the rotation, but he said to us on Monday this week, we're just not going to rush it. This guy's got a big, long baseball career in front of him. That's that's a pretty good look, I think, for a, for a head college baseball coach when he knows how talented he could be on the mound, but they're just not going to push it. Yeah, you're 100 percent right, and that's certainly I would expect nothing different from Scott Perry, who I think is uh, one of the true class acts in college baseball and so well respected by his peers and you know and by scouts, which is you know, it's not easy to, to earn the respect of scouts as a college coach. And, I'd love to rip on coaches, but you don't hear him ever banging on, on Scott Perry. I mean, he's very well respected, and there's a reason for that. He takes good care of his players and uh, runs the program the right way. So uh, certainly I don't think he'll do anything that would put Walner in any kind of jeopardy, considering, you know, like you said, this guy could be a first-round pick. Um, you know, and, and I think he has first-round ability as a pitcher, too, but his co-future, is, I think, as a position guy, he wants to hit. You know, from what I understand, that's what he wants to do. And so... You know, if, if he can get healthy and, and, you know, whatever they get out of him down the stretch would be probably a bonus at this point. But I, I would be surprised at this point after, you know, this kind of injury if he winds up being a huge part of the rotation. Yeah, uh, that'll certainly be interesting to see. Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball on your radio. Let's move over to Oxford. Ole Miss on the road at Tulane for a three-game series in uh, in New Orleans. They had one game rained out last weekend, so they didn't get to play all three. Split with Wright State, had a big offensive uh, day in the win in the midweek against Arkansas State. Uh, any thoughts or, or impressions early on Ole Miss and, and maybe what they could expect with a Tulane team that scored a bunch of runs but hasn't been great the last couple of years? Well, you know, so far, I think certainly Ole Miss, uh, I have been impressed with. I know mean, they lost the game, but that by state team is good. You know, I mean, people probably don't recognize how good that program is and how much talent they have. Um, they, they, every year, it seems like they go down and, and beat somebody early in the year. I think they did it to Clemson a year or two ago as well. Uh, so that's kind of a regular thing for them. So, um, you know, I, I love Ole Miss's roster. I mean, really top to bottom. I, I love the, the lineup, the physicality, um, you know, the defense, athleticism up the middle. Um, I think they're, they're perfectly fine in the mound, even though I know, you know, they, they have some big horses to replace in that rotation. I'm not worried about the pieces they have there. Um, you know, b- between Hoagland and McKenzie, the two freshmen, I think, you know, you're going to get some pretty quality starts out of those youngsters because they're very polished for their age. Uh, I think Will Etheridge will be very good in the rotation. I uh, like the, the bullpen pieces, obviously, that they've got led by Teresi. And it, really, I think every piece is in place for them uh, to be a top 10 kind of team this year. I'm curious, and Aaron, I know your focus is on covering college baseball, but when you look at a guy like Thomas Dillard, who is playing in the outfield, but I don't know that he necessarily projects as like a a big league outfielder, but the offensive numbers are so good, and the plate discipline's gotten better, and he swings it from both sides, and there's a lot of power there, and also is hitting for average. What is the future for Thomas Dillard beyond this year? Yeah, I think he's one of the more intriguing draft wild cards out there because, yeah, like you said, what is he at the next level? You know, I mean, he's really athletic for a big old tank of a guy. You know, yeah. I think he's about a six-six runner. I mean, he's you know, he's, you wouldn't expect him uh, to have that kind of wheels, but he's like a fullback man. You get him out in the open field, and he'll just plow through you. 
Um, and, and again, a switch hitter who, who does control the zone and has big raw power and he hits for average. Um, you know, and like you said, uh, he's gotten more disciplined at the plate, but he's always drawn walks. And so I think that's something that's in his favor. Uh, I think it's an intriguing package, and I just don't know where he winds up defensively. Um, you know, because you'd love to see him behind the plate, but he's been kind of blocked there with the, with the guys they've had. Um, sure. and, and so you just don't really have a good feel for how good he is back there. Uh, if, a, you know, a scout has seen him behind the plate um, and, and feels like he can do it, then he can go out pretty good because uh, catching is always in demand. And certainly a guy like that with that kind of offensive ability uh, wouldn't surprise me if he jumped up boards. But, you know, if he's just a corner bat, um, well, you know, there's still value there, but uh, it's harder to gauge maybe where he falls. So, like I said, kind of a draft wild card for this year. Yeah, really interesting stuff. I've asked a couple of people about Vanderbilt this week, and I'd be curious to get your insight as well. I, I talked to some folks from Vanderbilt at a basketball game last week, and they thought, man, the pitching is going to be fantastic. Tim Corbin may go back to kind of a small ball type deal this year. And then we see opening weekend, and it's kind of the opposite. They hit it all over the ballpark, pitching not very good. Is there reason for concern with the number of runs they gave up against some decent teams last week out in Arizona? Yeah, I was out there last week to watch them, and, and what I saw was a lot like what I saw last year from Vanderbilt. You know, it's a bunch of guys who can really light up the radar guns and don't throw enough consistent strikes. And that's just the same old, same old last couple of years for Vandy. Uh, they need strike throwers, and you know I think they had 17 walks in three games or something like that, um, you know, and, and maybe four or five hit bats. I mean, you know, just not throwing enough strikes is that simple. And uh, you know there were some encouraging signs there. I thought you know Raby uh, looked like he's more like back to his old self after kind of scuffling with his stuff being down a little bit last year. That's a key piece because he's actually a guy who can throw strikes and has pitch ability. Um, and then I thought you know that King at the back of the bullpen. Um, you know, he's the guy that showed me the most probably pitchability, if you will, uh, in that bullpen. And he's like another lefty that has, you know, good stuff uh, in 1992 with three pitches and uh, it's an angle. You know, so I think he's a real key piece for him. Uh, Fellows will, will be better than he was first weekend. He just didn't have – he wasn't sharp, you know, but um, but he's still not like your shutdown ace, you know, that you sometimes see. Man. It was not David Price or Sonny Gray. He's just kind of your solid workhorse guy. Um, right. So the, the, the thing about it is they have so much depth on the mound. There's so many different guys. I feel like they're, they're bound to stumble on some combination of, of guys that work, and especially from the left side. I mean, nobody in the country has the kind of power left-handed pitching that they've got uh, between King and – um, you know, Jake Eater and, and uh, Jackson Gillis. I mean, it's on and on. It's it's incredible. Hugh Fisher, those are all mid-90s guys on the left side uh, that you just don't see in college baseball. In other words, another Tim Corbin Vanderbilt pitching staff. So <laughs> it sounds like again yeah. uh, this year. Aaron, really appreciate your time. Um, hope the weather holds off and uh, you can get two more in in Starkville this weekend. Yeah, I hope so too. I think we might be playing two on Sunday, but we'll find out.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.